Uh, good morning, church. Good morning. Hey, it's good to be back with the family. It's great to go away, great to rest and refresh, but it's always nice to come back home. You know, there's no place like home, amen, and it is good to be back again. I trust you guys were blessed with the two services while we were away. Those messages were intentional for us as a church in this journey that God is taking us. So I hope you were blessed with uh, Jensen Franklin and with, of course, Christine Kane dynamic uh, lady as she speaks, and uh, yeah, were you blessed? Did you get something? Huh? <laughs> All right, praise God for, for those of you that were here. Yeah, anyway, again, also my wife said thanks, but thanks to everybody involved. You know, church is teamwork. Yeah, there was, we were talking about the volunteers, and I had all of you that were here that day standing up, and uh, we do church as a team. In fact, we do Christian life as a team. You must understand that. Today, we're starting a new series, Back to Basics. And um, the, the, the purpose of this is just to, to, you know, from time to time, I like to go back to the foundational stuff, the things which are common to all of us as Christians. And uh, it is good to, to do this. And so what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at practices that are basic to Christian life, uh, things that Probably you know. In fact, I'm gonna, most of what I'm going to say, probably you have heard already. Um, you know, the great philosopher, ancient philosopher Plato said, the greatest part of learning is being reminded. Where's Plato? Where's Plato? There you go. The greatest part of learning is being reminded of the things you already know. Did you know that? Think of it, you know, yeah, we, we learn new things, but in our day-to-day -day life, <clears throat> usually things go wrong when we don't do what we know we should have done. It's not so much that we forget, but we neglect, simply because it is easier not to do it. You know, that second or third piece of cake, you know you shouldn't have it, but we have it anyway. And then afterwards, you feel the consequence. Not that you didn't know you shouldn't do it, but you kind of ignored the truth. And, and if I look at, you know, our lives, in any area of our lives, financially, relationally, marriage, when do things go wrong? When we neglect to do the things we know we should have done. Hello? And the same thing in our Christian life. So over the next couple of weeks, a few weeks, we're going to be looking, reminding us as a church of the basic principles of being a Christian, of being a follower of Christ. This also includes being reminded of the basic things that we here as a local church believe in. We as a local body, there are some things that we believe in and we do things in a certain way here that they don't do it over there. Now, nothing wrong with what they're doing over there, except here we do things differently, and every local body should be in agreement about what they do and how they do it. So we're going to be talking about some of those things so that we together, as a local church, as individuals, we can grow and become everything that God wants us to be and to become. Amen. And so we're going to be talking about some things that you know. And it's not just Plato that, you know, spoke about repeating things. Uh, the Bible also talks about that. In fact, uh, the Apostle Peter also believed in repetition. 
If you go to the book of Peter, the apostle Peter said the following, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. And by the way, that reference, I, I gave the wrong reference over there. It's not 1 Peter, it's 2 Peter, okay? 2 Peter 1.12. So if you're taking notes, just make sure you don't write 1 Peter. It's 2 Peter 1.12. So Peter, he was not negligent in reminding the people of what they already knew. In fact, if you read on that passage, you say, he says that even after I'm gone, even when I die, I'm going to make sure that after I'm dead, somebody is still going to be reminding you of these things. We need to be reminded, people. Life happens. You get caught up in life, in studies, in school, in work, in projects, in, in sorting your budget out, in, in, in living your life, in bringing kids up, taking kids to school. And, 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 and before you know it, you kind of lose focus of what God wants you and I to do as Christians. We kind of lose focus of what is our purpose here? Is my purpose just to run to work every morning, come back tired at home and and go to sleep, wake up tomorrow morning and do it all over again? Is this what life is all about? (laughs) And if we are not careful in the rush of life, we lose focus of why we are here. And so we need to be reminded. Well, Paul, ah, thank you very much. Thank you. Paul had the same idea as well. In fact, he says, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Philippians 3.1. Paul believed in repetition as well. He didn't mind writing the same things over and over. In fact, if you read the letters of Paul, you're going to see that some things are repeated all over the place. It's like, hey, Paul, you said this already in the first book. Why are you saying it again in the second book? That is why. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious. But for you, it is safe. It is good for us to know the Word of God. It is good for us to know the basic principles of Christian life. But it is for our safety that we should repeat them. Go over them again. Why? So that we don't lose focus. So that in our Christian life, in the middle of all the rush, of all the hustle and bustle, we stay focused on what we are supposed to be, what we are supposed to do, who we are supposed to do it. In this first session of Back to Basics today, we're going to look at discipleship. Now, discipleship is a huge topic. I'm just going to introduce it to you this morning and touch a little bit about it. There are whole books, whole volumes written about the topic of discipleship. But I want us to introduce because in the next weeks to come, we are going to be talking about different aspects of discipleship. All right? And our key scripture and where this term discipleship comes from is in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. And here we read the great commission given to us by Jesus. In fact, when you read this verse, yeah, you find out that that's what he told his followers to do and to be. Amen? We are not called to be converts. It's good to have converts. And sometimes we like to go out on an outreach and oh, I came back and, and I led so many people to the Lord, you know. I made so many converts. It's exciting. Um, once, some years ago, 
you know, when, when these big crusades were going around all over Africa, you know, they take a tent and we get all the churches together and we'd evangelize and multitudes would come and hundreds of people would receive Jesus. And, and they did a follow-up in a couple of cities. And in some of these cities you drive in, you could still see the big banner all worn out from the crusade five years ago or ten years ago. They went into some of these cities about five years after the crusades and they could find less than 2% of the people that had committed their lives to Christ in those crusades. You see, folks, because we are not called to make converts. Jesus didn't call us to make conversions, to lead people to Jesus. That's not what he told us to do. Look what Jesus said. Go, therefore, and say together. Make disciples. Okay? Making a disciple is more than just making a convert. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go therefore and make disciples. That word, make disciples, uh, some, some translation says, teach them. But that word, make disciples, in Greek is only one word. And that one word actually means student. Go and make students. Actually, a better word is more like apprentice. Go and make apprentices. How many of you know that an apprentice isn't a one-hour job? Huh? An apprentice isn't an eight-to-five job. An apprentice is a full-time, total-life commitment to a master. And then you spend time with that master, and you learn everything that he knows. You live with him. You, you walk around with him. You follow him. In the days of Jesus, it was common to have masters and disciples. And in fact, back in those days, the rabbis, which were the masters, they would be very learned people. And they would only choose the best of the best, the cleverest, the most, the, the people that stood out. And they would say, you, follow me. And to be chosen as a disciple was a huge honor. Because not everybody qualified as a disciple. You had to have a certain amount of ability to be a disciple. And, so to be, and, and then these people would literally walk all over the place with a master. In fact, they would say, may the dust of your master be upon you. In other words, may you walk so closely to your master. And those days they walked in the streets. They had no cars and things. And so be so close to your master that the dust of his feet falls on you because you follow him so closely so that you can become like him. And it was an honor for those masters when those, those disciples would become as good as them and some of them even going beyond. That is what a disciple is, a full-time student, an apprentice. Jesus is, go and make apprentices of all nations, baptizing them and then teaching them. There are three things, go, baptize, teach Baptism isn't just a little religious routine you do when your babies get born or when you join a new religion. Baptism is a sign of total commitment to following Christ. Today in the Western world, baptizing, baptism is like a little routine thing. But back in the first century, baptism meant an identification 
with a particular group of people and with a particular leader. Baptism in the first century was a cut-off line. I'm going from this philosophy of life to that philosophy of life. And back in the first century, to say that Jesus is Lord meant treason to the emperor. Because back in the day, Caesar was Lord. Why do you think so many Christians were persecuted and killed? Because they had the audacity to open their mouths and say, Jesus is my Lord. Say what? How dare you say that? And to the Romans, it was treason to say that Jesus is Lord and they would be persecuted. To the Jewish people, it was blasphemy to say that Jesus is Lord because there's only one God, Jehovah, and his God that did not understand the scriptures. That speak about the Son of God, the Lord, the Savior. And so baptism was a serious business, man. You could baptize on your way home, you could be killed. Hello? Anybody want to come and be baptized now? It meant something. And then teaching. It was a lifelong commitment to learning the ways of God. To learn to think and talk and walk and, and do life. More and more and more like Jesus. And so this is the command of Jesus. And that somehow today, we kind of come to, to believe that a person can be a Christian without being like Christ. Hello? When Jesus gave the commandment, he said, become like me. But today, somehow it is okay to be a follower who doesn't follow. I'm a Christian. I go to church whenever I feel like it, if I feel like it. I give some money when I've got some extra change that I'm not using. I, uh, yeah, ugh, I serve in the church when I've got nothing better to do, you know, when I'm bored. But I'm a Christian. Really? Are you a disciple? Imagine, Im- imagine if, if Jesus came to the disciples and when, 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 he, when, he, when he was calling them to follow him. Imagine if he came there and he said, hey guys, uh, would you guys mind identifying yourselves with me in some way? Uh, don't worry. I, I don't actually care if you do anything I do and I, I don't care if you change your lifestyle or not. All I'm looking for are people who are willing to say they believe in me and, and call themselves Christians. Would you guys uh, uh, like to be that gang? Huh? Imagine if Jesus had done that. What, what, what change would have been in the world? What change would have been in their lives? And, and yet many people today treat Christianity like we treat Facebook. You know, oh, oh, yeah, I like, like. <laughs> Cost you nothing to like. No commitment from you at all. When you've got time, you go there and you check up on your friends. Eh, you know, Jesus doesn't want you to like him. He wants you to follow him. It's a different picture altogether. And he wants you to be a disciple who makes disciples. We are all called to be disciples and to make disciples. Oh, but pastor, I thought the disciples and the people that make disciples are are you guys, you pastors and and evangelists and missionaries and, and people who are qualified to make disciples. I'm not qualified. I don't know anything about discipleship. Well, listen, think again. Disciple is a follower. You walk according and you walk with your master. 
You are a follower of Christ. You know something about Jesus. Jesus is changing your life. And as he changes you, you tell others and you help others to become more like Jesus. And as you read the New Testament, you realize that it's not complicated at all to be a disciple and to make disciples. Understand it is by grace that you are called. Jesus saved you by grace. You don't have to do anything to be saved. However, you need to surrender your life to him. And that's where sometimes people struggle with. Sometimes people can't believe that it, you know, they don't have to do anything to be saved. Jesus has done everything. Other people struggle with the lordship side. Do I have to really obey everything? I mean, if he's already saved me, why must I obey him? And yet discipleship is a combination of these two. It's receiving his grace, knowing that you are forgiven. He died for you. You are now saved. When you surrender your life to him, you are saved. But in surrendering your life to him, there is a call for you to obey him. And yet, when you choose to obey him, he will come alongside you and help you to do what he wants you to do. And so it is not as complicated. How do you make disciples? Well, there are very simple things that you can do. And I'm going to just mention a couple of things from the New Testament, ways to, to make disciples. And, and you're going to find many more than these. I'm going to just mention a few of them to you. But there are many ways to make disciples. Number one, in Ephesians 6.4, fathers are to train their children. How easy is that? Okay? So fathers... And mothers as well, but it starts with, notice it says fathers, because very often, <laughs> fathers tend to delegate to the mothers. Hello? Yeah, mom, you're with a kid anywhere, yeah, you do it, you know. I'm too busy. Now, I've got to go out to the boys tonight, we've got some important business to deal with. We have to plan our next fishing trip, you know. So you deal with that. Now, fathers, it starts with us. Us as husbands, you're supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the home. And fathers are to train their children. In other words, train, talk to them. Pray with them at, at meal tables. Read the Bible with your children. Talk to your children about the things of God. Make sure you take your family to church. You, you don't have to be a, 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 a theologian to share the basic things with your family. Talk about stuff around the table. Have a discussion. If you don't know the answer, it doesn't matter. Look for the answer together. Open the Bible. Ask another Christian friend. Ask your pastor. But get engaged in training. And notice training. Not just telling them trainings you get involved in their lives. You do it with them. In Hebrews 3.13, all Christians are to exhort one another every day. Exhort means to encourage. Exhort means to, to, to help along. Exhort means to, to even sometimes bring a bit of correction if you have to. Exhort one another every day. As you're talking to somebody, talking to your brothers and your sisters, uh, you know, talking to people at work, you pick up there's something wrong, you give a word of encouragement. You offer to pray for them. It's part of your day-to-day -day life. In fact, in that, in that first commandment of, of Jesus, when he says, go and make disciples, we kind of, we make that go a very, a very big thing. We are going, you know. I'm going to China. On Saturday, we are going to evangelize. No, no, no. The word go there is actually, as you go, make disciples. In other words, as you do life, while you're doing life, while you're working, you're at school, you're in the bus, you're playing, you're in the gym, as you go, Make disciples. In other words, as you're doing life and conversation happens and you interact with people, become aware that you are a disciple maker. And as you can, help people come close to Jesus. Encourage your brothers and sisters. Bring a word of encouragement, a word of instruction. Offer a prayer. 
That's what it is. It's not so complicated. You know, exhort one another. In Titus 2.4, the older woman ought to train the younger woman. <laughs> All right? And including cooking, okay? It's okay, everything. Because you know that cooking, a cooking instruction can be a wonderful disciple-making process, okay? And you can talk about Jesus and so forth. And 1 Peter 4.10, all Christians are to use their gifts to serve others. In fact, the Bible calls these gifts the grace of God. All of us have been given graces of God, abilities in our lives that we are to use to serve one another. Sometimes we take the gifts, the abilities that God has given us, and we use them selfishly for our own personal gain. But the Bible says we're supposed to take our gifts and talents and abilities and use them to serve others. As you're, you know, using them in your day-to-day life, help other people. And so there are many other scriptures. And as you see, it is not complex. You don't need a degree in theology to do any of this stuff. Just live your life aware that you are a disciple and that you are called to make disciples. Just be intentional about it. And whatever you know, share with somebody else. And grow yourself as well. Don't just, you know, think about, just learn every day. Be open to to learning. So a disciple is a day-to-day process that you are continuously growing in. Now, these days, you know, today, many people want to go to church to hear a, a nice message, maybe a motivational talk, maybe they want to be encouraged, maybe they want to see something fascinating. I want to go to church and see something spectacular, you know, and maybe see something changed or maybe some crazy prophecy or something. Oh, that is never what Jesus called people to do. He has never called us to do that. He's never called us to be, you know, people that create fantastic stuff. He simply called us to follow him and to share that with others. And if you look at Jesus, it's amazing. He had the opportunity, he had the capacity, he had the power to do that, to create the fantastic experiences. And yet, when he preaches and he talks about discipleship, he does something completely different. Check it out. We're going to look a little bit at a, a passage of scripture, Luke 14. From verse 25 to verse 33. And I want you to listen to Jesus speaking about discipleship. All right? Here's Jesus talking about discipleship. He is a, an authority on the subject matter. So let's go. Luke chapter 14. And from verse 25 it says, Now, great multitudes went with him. And he turned and he said to them. Okay, so imagine this. I have a church full of people, and there's more people coming. They're flying over there. They're standing at the back over there, and it's now my turn to preach. Man, what am I going to do? You see, man, I'm, I'm going to pull out my best sermon. I'm going to make sure that I say something nice and sweet because I want all you guys plus all those guys, I want them to come back here next week, man. I, I want them to join this church, right, because I want to have a, like a big church, you know. So I'm going to be very careful not to offend anybody. I, I'm not talking about, not going to talk about sin because, I mean, people get that uncomfortable when you talk about sin. I'm not, I'm not going to talk about hell because people get scared. I'm not going to talk about hell. No, I'm not going to talk about anything that offends anyone or makes anyone upset. I'm going to make say something nice that excites you, you know, that, that helps you to feel good about yourself. And, and now, now listen, when, when you get into the Word of God, the Word of God does those things for us. The Word of God does make us feel good. The Word of God does encourage us and so forth. But that is not the whole picture. 
we have to bring reality into what we preach. Now, check this out. Jesus has a crowd. And if I was Jesus, I would say something very nice to the people because I want them to come back next week and I want to make lots of disciples. Except Jesus, he does things differently. Look how he starts his sermon to the multitudes. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers, sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. <laughs> wow. What an encouraging sermon. How would you feel like if you're in the crowd and you've heard about this Jesus that is doing miracles and he can walk on water and he can, he can feed multitudes out of nothing. And whoa, I've got to see this guy, man. I've got to get my, my, my piece of my pie. I want to pray. I want to bread. I want something. I want to see this guy. And you come to him and <laughs> this is what you hear. If you don't hate everybody else and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now let me Stop a little bit over there. When he says hate your father, mother, wife, brother, blah, blah, blah. He's not saying you've got to hate them. All he's saying is this. Your love for me has to be so much higher than your love for your family. That when you look at your love for me compared with your love for your family. Your, the love for your family looks like hatred compared with your love for me. That's all. Because the Bible does not want you to hate your family. In fact, when you read the scriptures, family is very important to God. Family is very important to the disciple. The disciple must put his family first. In terms of your priorities, you don't put work and things of this world. You must first look after your family. It's God first and then the family. So family is important. But understand, he's talking about levels of magnitude over here. Your family, your, your devotion for him must be higher than your family. Now, why does he say this? Because back in those days, and still today, in many cultures, when you turn your back on your traditional religion or the religion of your family, you run the risk of being rejected. You run the risk of being ostracized. In some cultures, you run the risk of being killed for rejecting the faith of your fathers. So he's warning you, listen, don't think you're going to follow me and still keep a foot on that. No, you, 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 your, your commitment must be to me. Your love for me must be higher than the family. Wow. Not only that, but he says there, and his own, no, no, stay on the same verse, on the same verse still, and his own life also. So a disciple puts their faith above their family, but a disciple also must be prepared to sacrifice self. It's not what I want, it's what Jesus wants. Is that, is that how you run your life? Before you make a decision about your future, your career, your marriage, you're moving from place A to place B. Do you consult Jesus? Or do you just do it first and say, Oh God, please bless the decision I've just made. Because the Lord wants to be part of your life. Every aspect of it. How many people have seen boy or girl meets another boy or girl. And the word of God says, be of one mind. Do not be unequally yoked. If you're a Christian, marry a Christian. 
And how many times I've had to deal with counseling room where boy or girl comes to me and says, Pastor, help me. I married my wife, my husband, the unbelievers, and now I'm suffering. We are butting heads and we don't agree about this. We're fighting all the time. But why did you marry unequally yoked? Oh, but I, he was so cute and she was so pretty and blah, 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 blah. And what we do is we put my will above his will. And then consequences happen. You see, to be a disciple of Christ means sacrificing yourself and putting God first in everything. Not an easy sermon, not an easy sermon. Not a nice word that Jesus is bringing over here, but if you want to be a disciple, I want you to understand that there is a cost to discipleship. Let's see what else Jesus said. Verse 27. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus just keeps on getting worse and worse, doesn't he? <laughs> to carry a cross is a painful process. There is no such thing as a styrofoam cross. Woohoo, like a. <laughs> the crosses are heavy and they hurt you, man. In other words, there is pain in carrying a cross. And, and Jesus is saying uh, a disciple must be prepared to accept pain rather than always expecting pleasure. Guys, we live in a society where everybody wants pleasure. We want us to pamper our flesh in every way. We want the easy way out. We don't want any pain, no discomfort. The Western world is bent on pleasure. Satisfy the desires of the flesh. Jesus is saying, hey, if you're going to be a disciple, you have to be willing to accept pain. Sometimes following Jesus is going to cost you pain. It's going to be painful. There is pain in life sometimes. And Jesus is preparing the crowd. Amen? Ah, it is great to follow Jesus. And we've got a whole eternity of pleasure ahead of us. But in this life, in this planet... To be afar of Christ and to bring change about and to help people find eternity with Christ, it will involve pain sometimes. And also he says, follow me, come after me. Jesus said, do not come after my religion. He says, come after me. A disciple, he values relationship above religion. And today in society, there are too many people, they value religion. What's religion? Oh, I've got to go to church. I've got to give some money. I've got to do something at church. And so we've got now to-do list. Go to church. At least once a month I must, I must go to church. Right, yes. So go to church. And when I come to church, I'm going to see I've got some danger. Yeah, put some change. Uh, let me do something. Can, can I help clean the counter over there? Thank you. So I go to church and, and I do something and I give some money. Check, check, check. Ah, I've done my religious duty. Lacquer. Now I can go and do whatever I want. That is religion. Now, is there anything wrong in going to church? No. Anything wrong in giving? No. Anything wrong in serving? No. But it is the heart. Why are you doing it? Are you doing it out of love for God? Are you doing it because you're a disciple? Because you're, you, you want to engage with brothers and sisters? You want to worship God? You want to serve Him? Or are you doing it as a religious duty? As you know, this church started as a Portuguese ministry. And the Portuguese people are very religious. Every Sunday they go to church. Early in the morning, or as much as they can. Some go to church every Sunday. Some go to church twice a year, Easter, Christmas. Um, but they're very religious. Very religious. They do their prayers. and But relationship is non-existent. And then, of course, I got to know the Afrikaans people. <laughs> very religious too. 
Every Sunday, alles in die kerk, man, met die das en alles daar so, jy weet. Ah, hy is die diakken, right? And every Sunday he's there. And then, but then, both I've noticed Portuguese guys and these Afrikaans guys, from Monday to Friday, on Sunday he's in church, he looks like a saint. On Monday, he's fluking like a fisherman. He's, he's, he's doing his customers in. He's stealing from his boss and so on. But next Sunday, he's there in church again. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> that is religion. Is it wrong to go to church? Of course not. But it's a matter of the heart. Why are you there? You're not allowing Christ to change you. You're not a disciple. You don't have relationship with Jesus. And that's why I say Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship with the living God. You are growing in knowing Him. You are allowing Him to change you. You are allowing your life to line up with His desires, His standards. You allow your mind to be changed. That you think more and more like He thinks. And you deal with others more and more like He wants you to deal with others. There's a difference having a relationship and having a religion. Is this making sense to anybody? Yeah. And so that's what God is calling us. Jesus is calling us not to be religious, but to have a relationship with him. What else? Verse 28. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost? Whether he has enough to finish it. And then in verse 33 he says, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Wow, what a sermon, guys. In that verse, 28, which of you intend to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost? The Lord is talking about commitment. A disciple is someone who understands commitment. You don't try to be a follower of Christ. You become a follower of Christ. You make a decision. You count the cost. And that's why Jesus puts it up front. When the multitude comes to him and says, hey guys, you want to follow him? These are the conditions. Guys, it is, it is a great choice you're making. But understand, there is a cost to, follow, to following me. Are you prepared to pay the price? Or do you just want the brand? You, you just want the t-shirt? Huh? Or are you going to take on the whole thing and allow my ways to become your ways? And so he talks about building a tower and then he talks about meeting up with a king that's coming towards you. Building up with a tower has to do with this whole thing of commitment. Making sure I'm prepared to go until the end. So many people, they get excited. Yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to change. And then the first headache they've got, and we pray for them, and the headache doesn't go away. This stuff doesn't work. And they drop out. No commitment, no follow through. They don't want any pain, no discomfort. They just want all the blessings. So God wants commitment out of the sample. I'm going to follow Jesus because I know he's the way, the truth, love. there's no one else like him. He's the only one that can take me from here into eternity. He's the one that guarantees my eternal salvation. No one else can do it. So I am committed to him. No matter what discomfort I find, I'm, I'm prepared for the joy and for the difficult parts. I'm taking Jesus for life. But then he talks about a king. Now back in the day, when, a king, when two kingdoms were going to go against each other, King is coming towards me. I sit down and I check out how, how much, how big is that kingdom? How, how big is his army? 
And I look at my army, my kingdom. Can I handle him? Can I confront him? Can I overcome him? If yes, come baby, let's do this. If not, if my army is smaller, I make sure before he gets too close, I go up to him and we do a peace treaty. We work things out. And then we coexist together. Listen, guys, a king is coming. A disciple, what he's saying is this, a disciple is someone who is preparing himself for the king. King Jesus is a mighty king. Remember when he came into Jerusalem around about Easter time, he came on a donkey and he came as a humble servant. But Jesus is going to walk into Jerusalem again, a second time. And this time, he's not coming as a humble servant. He's coming as a mighty king with a mighty army to rule and to reign. And I'm getting myself prepared to meet that king. I know I cannot beat him. (laughs) There's no way that me with my little peanut brain and my resources, there's no way I can go up against this king. So I've made peace with this king. I've surrendered my life to him, and I'm preparing to meet him. And so a disciple is someone who has made peace, because see, this king is actually a prince of peace. He doesn't want to make war. He's making war against evil. But he loves us, and he wants us to be part of his kingdom. And yet, so many people today, they are challenging this king. Ah, there is no God. Ah, I've got to exist. I will tell God this. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Big talk, big talk. One day I want to see how are they going to handle themselves when they stand in front of this mighty king and their knees become like jelly and they realize they can't do a flippant thing against this king. And they have not made peace with this king either. Ouch. So, A disciple is someone, yes, who faces these costs, but it's also someone who has made peace with the king. And we are expecting, we are ready for the king. And we are aligning our lives more and more with the king. And we are helping other people to become aware of this king and join us in becoming part of his kingdom. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, man. Are you ready for the king? Are you still uncertain? So you see, discipleship, yes, it is challenging. Yes, it can cost you something. But it is the only way of life that's going to take you somewhere. That's going to give you meaning. God is the one who created you, who made you, who put the gifts and talents and made you the way you are. He's the only one that can guide you into living a fulfilled life, a meaningful life. This world is chasing after all sorts of things, but all that stuff is meaningless. Solomon says it very clearly. All this is chasing after wind and is worthless. How many testimonies you have heard of of people, they they achieve so much in life, richness, riches, greatness, power, and it comes to the end of their lives, they are miserable. The only ones who can really find fulfillment in life, rich or poor, are the ones who make Jesus the Lord of their lives, who truly become disciples of Jesus, who take what they have and use it for the kingdom of God, who don't live for themselves, but live for others and allow Jesus to be 
the one guiding them. So guys, in closing, and we'll talk a little bit more about aspects of uh, discipleship as we go uh, forward. Um, you know, one may be a casual Christian, but you cannot be a casual disciple. And if you listen to what Jesus said, you realize that you have to be a disciple intentionally every single day. A few weeks ago, I mentioned here that I believe the Lord is calling us this year to intentionally be the church that he wants us to be, to intentionally be the person that he wants us to be, the family he wants us to be. I sense he wants us to be better carriers of his presence, where we live, where we go to school, where we work, where we do whatever we do, be carriers of the presence of Christ. That's what a disciple does. And as I bring these closing remarks on discipleship, let's understand this. Being a disciple is not an event. It's a lifelong process of growing in maturity and in knowledge of Christ. I've been a Christian for many years. I've been a pastor for many years. I'm still learning. I'm still a student. I'm still an apprentice. I still make mistakes. I still need to be corrected. I need encouragement. I need a kick in the butt now and then. Listen, guys, we are all in the process. And so are you. And you don't have to wait until you know more. Until you, no, right where you are with what you've got, you can realize that you are a disciple. You can be a disciple and you can make disciples. You can start talking about discipleship stuff, following Jesus with others. Discipleship is the process of bringing people to Christ and growing them into what they are to become as Christians. And you are all involved in this. Oh, I thought it's only the evangelists that do it. No, no, all of us are called to do it. We will come together and we can talk about this and I can train and I can teach you, but all of us must embrace this calling and help others to become believers in Christ. And then we are all called to be disciples who make disciples. Folks, I want to encourage you, church. Let us embrace this lifestyle. We talk about this, and from time to time we discuss this. But how about this year, we, we, we take our discipleship a few notches up. We understand that we're all in this together. Let's talk about this amongst ourselves, in our homes, in, in our meetings, and in our conversations. Let's encourage one another to be better followers of Jesus. Make sure that you are allowing his word to change us. Make sure that you are finding ways of helping people to become followers of Christ and that you are helping them to grow in the Lord. Let's become active followers of Jesus, active carriers of his presence. Amen? And make sure, above all, that you are prepared for the coming king. Amen? Let's stand up. Let's close in prayer. As you bow your head and your eyes are closed, just let me repeat something which you said just now. A disciple is someone who is ready to meet the king. And I don't know every single one of you, so let me ask you this. Are you prepared to meet the king? Are you prepared to meet Jesus? In other words, are you saved? Are you sure of your salvation? Do you know that you are going to heaven? It's nothing complicated. It's a simple prayer. It's a simple surrendering of your life to Jesus. It's simply saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me and for my sins. I am a sinner. Lord Jesus, save me. Forgive me of my sins. And I accept you as my Lord, my Savior. And then you surrender your life to him. And it's a prayer you can make right now, right there where you are. 
or you might want to come and see me off the service or maybe talk to a Christian friend and ask them to pray with you. But don't delay this. Decide today that you are going to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus Christ, and allow the power of God to change you, to bring fulfillment, to bring hope, to bring meaning to your life. Amen? And church, let us, let us be of one mind in this. Let's together say, Lord Jesus, change us. Whatever needs to be changed in our lives, change us so that we can be true disciples, better disciples, better carriers of your presence. Allow him, even as we continue with the series, allow him to fine-tune. You know what, what, what we heard last week about you know, restarting or resetting our hearts and our souls? Uh, we need these adjustments. And as we go into the series, there might be adjustments, little resets, which God wants to do in your life. Church, let's be open for that. Let's be open for the readjustments, the resets the settings that Jesus wants to modify in our lives. Amen? And so, Father God, I thank you for your love for each one of us. Lord Jesus, you, you gave your life for us. And you ask us to follow you. And help us, Lord Jesus, to be those followers that truly allow ourselves to be molded by you. I pray for this church. I pray for everyone listening to this message. Help us, dear God to be true disciples, to be willing to face the, the cost of being a disciple, Lord God, because of the joy of being a disciple, because of the joy of a future with you. Make us effective carriers of your presence this year, Lord, in a way that we've never felt before, never seen before, my God, so that your name may be glorified, so that lives may be touched, so that people may find joy and peace and, 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 and fulfillment, Lord God, and meaning in their lives. And so we thank you for your goodness, for your power, for your blessing. In Jesus' name. And so now, may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon each one of us, enabling us to be efficient disciples for his glory. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Have a great week and you'll see you next Sunday for the continuation of our series. Amen. God bless you.